Hello again, lovely listeners and subscribers and patrons, all the above. Thank you so, so much again for listening to This Present Darkness. This is Thomas Brennan, and um, today I wanted to hop in right away and say uh, this is going to be a, a making of episode, which is normally something that I was trying to sort of grow my Patreon with. And, um, you know, I just given our current national and and international and worldwide circumstances, um, you know, I don't think that's, that's how I want to focus right now. You know, I know people are facing a lot of difficult situations and, um, I know I'm not a very big podcast yet, but, you know, for the people that do listen, I want to give them as much content as I can, you know, to help, you know, uh, help them escape, you know, help them, I think about other things or just enjoy some some good stories and um, some stories behind the stories, which is what today is about. So I hope everybody that's listening is doing well. Uh, we're doing pretty good here in, in, in my household, my wife and I and our three kiddos. Um, but, I, you know, we're, we've only been about a week here in the U.S. into quarantine. So, you know, it might be a little premature to say we're doing well. Um but I know a lot of people are doing so very much worse, and I want you all to know, if you're in a situation like that, of course, um, uh, you know you have you have our sincerest prayers. However, um, if there's any practical steps that we can do to help my family and I, we really would be happy to do it. So, feel free to hit me up on Twitter, a direct message, or just at me, um, or you can email me at uh, presentdarknesspod at gmail dot com. And I will happily do whatever I possibly can, um, and and my family will do whatever we can to help out. So let's hop into the topic at hand, which is the second episode, officially, of This Present Darkness, uh, The Silver Corner King. This story was most definitely a labor of love, if ever there was such a story for me. Um, it, it, It was a story that had probably four different iterations and it was a story I actually came up with in terms of the general uh, plot about two years ago it was a much simpler plot at that point and I'll and I'll be totally transparent um, and and you know part of these is me I'm, I'm still a new for all intents and purposes I've, I've written for film you know I've done like short films I, I did my degrees in that and, and so I don't want to say that I'm brand new to story writing because I'm not but um, this is my first foray into just writing just straight fiction that's intended for, you know, podcast audiences or audio drama audiences. And so, you know, I'm still learning. And this is certainly my first foray into the horror genre. I've been a fan for years. But the way that I write is typically more drama-centered, not thriller or horror-centered. Um, so I'm learning. You know, this is this is this podcast is partially an experiment for me to to learn to be a better writer and to be a better horror writer specifically. So, um, you know, I, I don't mind being transparent through this. <laughs> I have absolutely nothing to lose by being totally honest with you guys. Um, and so part of that, uh, I'll just be transparent, is that there are times where I wonder if I should have just gone with the simpler version of this story. Um, when I first wrote it, so so I'll, I'll back up a little bit. What inspired this 
story was uh, a couple years ago, I was sort of, I was much more involved with YouTube a couple years ago than I am now. I, I would spend hours on YouTube and a lot of it would just be stuff playing throughout the day. Um, you know, I was working, I wasn't just a lazy person just sitting there watching YouTube all the time, but, um, I had a job where I could, I could listen to stuff on YouTube and, and depending on what was going on, I could partially watch stuff on YouTube too. And at one point, I just sort of randomly discovered this channel. It's run by a guy named Frank Hood. Um, he's on Twitter as well. Um, but he runs a YouTube channel. That's where I found him. Um, it's called uh, Exploring Abandoned Minds and Unusual Places. And being two years ago, I, you might have heard me say in the last making of, I was starting to consider this podcast even back then. So I was I was already writing down story ideas and kind of you know, using my phone to record like voice memos for like partial bits of the story or little bits of, you know, dialogue or, or plot that I, I would want to include or just writing notes. And I remember writing my first note on this. It's still in my, my Apple, uh, my Apple notes. I can go all the way back to a couple of years ago and see my initial notes on, on the story that I wanted to write after watching these guys' videos. And the cool thing about Frank's videos is they're not, um, they're not horror driven, right? They're not, he's not trying to be scary. He, he's, you know, today it's kind of common to see those urban exploration videos, you know, urbex videos where they're going into these old abandoned buildings or climbing up to the top of buildings, uh, cityscapes. But I didn't see a lot of what Frank was doing, which was going into these old abandoned mines. You can find stuff now. There's, there's a lot of people that, you know, live out in the desert or live out and kind of, they, they go exploring into the woods, into these caves or whatever else. But, Frank is sort of, in my opinion, sort of the OG of this particular niche and certainly, in my experience, the most knowledgeable about what he's seeing when he's going through these mines. And he's the first to say, you know, these are very dangerous places. And what happened was I watched a couple of these videos and occasionally he'll throw up like a little funny, like uh, creepy kind of title, like, you know, running into a ghost and the abandoned mine of, you know, whatever. And, and actually the name, the silver corner, uh, mine was taken from, from one of the mines that he went to, but he even says in his about page, you know, a lot of the names that he gives these mines are, are completely made up because their mines are just surrounded in mystery because of the era that they were, most utilized it wasn't an era of strong documentation or you know preserving details um it was it was more of a desperate kind of time and so so you know some of the stuff that he he puts in there um you know he does know a lot about the history of those mines but some of the titles and things like that some of that stuff is is you know, you can't even really find it. And, and, uh, you pr can probably find the video that inspired the title for this. And, and in fact, there's a few moments in the silver corner King that are directly taken from things that happened to him while he's exploring. Um, you know, the thing with the chain swinging, just the one of those chains that actually happens in one of the videos and it creeped me out. Um, the thing with the barn owl, um, and again, it's one of those things that if, if you're watching it and you know it's a bar now, and you know, and I kind of play a small sound of it in the episode, but if you know it's a bar now, it's like, well, yeah, duh, that was an animal. But if you just watch it the first time and you're just listening, just, you know, enjoying him walking through this mine, um, it doesn't sound like an animal. You know, that's not your first thought is not 
oh wow, there's something in there. You know, it's it sounds like this creepy, almost human-like voice that's just like this loud whisper when he gets this particular spot in this cavern. And so I, you know, I, I certainly utilize that moment heavily, you know, in, in this particular story. And then, of course, the name, right? The Silver Corner King, where did that come from? So there's a moment where he um, he sees some of the miners' graffiti, which, by the way, he's the one who I, who I heard explain how they used to do the graffiti where they used their carbide uh, lamps on their helmets to scorch the rock. And there's a, there's a particular bit of miners graffiti that he walks into and um it's sort of this crude drawing of a miner right he's got a cigarette in his mouth he's got stubble he's got a headlamp on and uh, it says the hard rock king right and so uh, you know i i wanted to use i was like oh that's pretty cool it's sort of this you know it's supposed to be you know just a, a bunch of construction type guys you know guy hard labor guys and I'm sure it was just some sort of inside joke of whoever it was, but I wanted to take that and turn it on its head and turn it into something a little bit more iconic. And that's where the name of of the story came from, was I was sort of inspired by that caricature, and I just went a different direction with it and called it the Silver Corner King, right? Which is supposed to be, um, well, it you know, I, I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> um, you know, I, I personally um, have an interpretation uh, it, it, you know, I, I will take this moment to say one thing that I do not like, and, and I know this is an unpopular answer for a lot of authors. A lot of authors like to give the answer, you know, it's up to you for interpretation. I hate that answer. And maybe it's cause I'm a new author. Um, maybe it's because I'm, I'm more of a listener, but it feels like such a cop out to me. It feels like a, um, a way for somebody to not have to explain themselves. And, and sometimes if they just don't want to explain it, I would prefer that they would say that. Um, but most of the time, I think they just don't know. You know, it's like we, as horror writers, one of the things that I've picked up on and have started to include in my stories is there's purposely things that are thrown in there that are just off and mysterious for the sake of adding tension, right? It's just, a, it's a it's a plot device and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's a, it's a narrative device. Um, so, so there are a couple things, you know, where I can say, well, look, I had this in my head when I wrote it, and I and I won't pretend that I didn't have this very definitive answer in my head when I wrote it. However, you know, I, I want people to be able to experience the story as they want to experience it, and for some people, they like to kind of fill in those details themselves, and I'm like, well, goodness, you know, don't let me ruin it for you, you know, you do, do what you want to do, just know that when I wrote it, I did intend something very specific, but when it's minor things like little scares here and there, you know, what made the chain swing or, you know, was it really a barn owl or whatever? Okay. You know, these are minor things to me. I don't, I don't really care if you disagree with me, um, as the writer on that, there are particular things where I do have specific intentions that I do mind a little bit more, but they tend to be things that are a little more, you know, plot heavy. The reason I bring this up is because there was a particular, a feature I was going to introduce on Patreon, and again, I'll start it here, and of course I might move some of this stuff back to Patreon once everything's back in in normalcy, whatever normalcy looks like after all this is said and done, but one of the things I wanted to introduce was the idea of something called Missing Chapters, and Missing Chapters, I, I don't think I've seen anybody really do this, um, you know, I've seen people do a good job on like a choose-your-own-adventure kind of thing, and I've certainly seen 
um, you know, uh, sneak sequels or sneak prequels where you don't quite know that it's a sequel to this whole series until later. Um, I would mention specific podcasts, but I I don't want to spoil it for you, <laughs> but you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Sometimes where you've got a, a whole other series of a show that seems like it's completely disconnected from anything. And then there at the end, it, it ties it back into an existing property. Um, and I'm like, Oh wow. You know, that's how that ties in. So I've seen people do that. I've seen the choose your own adventure stuff. Um, but what I hadn't seen was necessarily this, this sort of short form version that I'm calling missing chapters where what I'm doing is I'm writing a, a short story that's directly related to the story that I've just written. So in this case, The Silver Corner King. And bringing more context to the existing story by introducing this new story. And um, in this particular case, you know, um, hopping into the plot, and, and I should definitely warn, you know, spoilers, spoilers from here on out. Um, I wanted it to be something where, you know, when you get to the end of this story, you're not sure how you feel about Aaron's grandpa, you know, Grandpa Atwood, Alden Atwood. Um, you certainly start the story not caring much for his father and caring a lot more for his grandfather, just like Aaron. You know, you're naturally siding with the protagonist. Um, but then by the end, those last, you know, 10 minutes, you kind of question that, you know, you maybe you don't fully turn on his grandpa, you know, maybe, maybe you have that question mark and that there's an example of something that I did leave a little bit purposely vague, not because I don't know the answer, but because it was more effective to not say the answer within this particular story. However, what I'd like to introduce is these missing chapters is maybe this is the opportunity to hear that story. Um, and uh, by doing so, allowing you to enjoy a new story with a, a, a historical perspective, but also allow you to see that older story with brand new eyes. And in this particular case, um, it is the story of why Grandpa Atwood did what he did and who this particular man is that he's got back there and settling debate of whether or not that man in the cave is the Silver Corner King or Grandpa Atwood is the Silver Corner King. Um, and I, I definitely know that story. You know, it's again, that is one of those things where I had definite intentions. I have a definite answer for, you know, uh, who's the good guy, quote unquote, in that scenario and who's not. Um, and, and, you know, it, it would be one of those things that after you hear it, it would still leave you with a lot of question marks. There's still some moral gray area in there, but um, you would certainly take everything that you just turned over at the end of this particular story, and then you'd turn it back over and say, well, wait a second, you know, maybe I was not so wrong. Um, but, but ultimately, we'll get to that, you know, down the road. If I can release that in the next month or two, I certainly will. Um, I'm kind of trying to write three or four different things at once. So we'll see which one comes out first. Um, but I'm excited about that one. I have a title for it, but I'm going to hold off on saying what it is, uh, until I've, I've finished it. But in any event, um, to kind of come back around right to that point of, of Aaron Atwood and his father, who we don't name, I don't believe, and then Alden Atwood, uh, his grandfather. Ultimately, what started off when I first wrote the very concept of this story, it was just going to be a guy who had a YouTube channel, just like, you know, Frank runs the one that inspired this story. 
and he was going to go down and he was going to encounter this guy that's trapped and he was going to rescue him and when he gets to the very end and he you know is able to break through that wall just like we see in our story um he discovers there's nobody back there except a you know a human skeleton that's been there for decades and so it's sort of this twist ending oh that's cool that's creepy and i liked it and and like i said there's some times where i think maybe that would have been better you know because it's it's just more simple and a lot of times the simpler story is the better story you know the convoluted stuff can be not nearly as effective as you hope for or think it is so um you know like i said in full transparency sometimes i wonder if i should have gone with that one that said um i am i am happy about the story that i put out and the reason is because you know i don't necessarily see when i'm when i'm starting a story um i don't necessarily see the theme married to the story most of the time there is a story coming out in may um that i'm trying to get out for mother's day where that is the case where the theme and the story are very closely tied together and i kind of conceived of them at the exact same time but most of the time what it is is i've got stories in my head that will naturally bring out themes that I've wanted to touch on as I start to think through them. And that was certainly the case here. One of those themes being that as we get older, we start to understand our parents and our grandparents more as humans, right? And as we go through more life experiences where, you know, we get married or we have a career or we get laid off or we have children or, you know, grandchildren down the road, we start to become, for the most of us, you know, for most of us, I know there's some people that don't have a great childhood at all, and I, I, I certainly don't want to discount that, but I'm saying, you know, for, for a normal, you know, quote-unquote good childhood with its bumps and bruises along the way, we tend to, you know, be somewhat judgmental by the time as we're getting in high school and college, and then by the time we have our first child, you know, we're looking at our parents like, my gosh, how did you even do it? You know, and we're all of a sudden we're turning back to them for advice, if not before that, you know. So I wanted to explore that theme of the, the historical relationships and family relationships and dynamics that have gone on for years that you just assume are just the way they are as you are young and you're growing up. And then as you get older, you begin to realize there's more to it, you know, whether good or bad, there's always more to the story. And there's plenty that our parents and our grandparents don't tell us to protect us. And, you know, I know that because it's like, now I have kids, there's certainly family dynamics and things that have happened in our family history that it'll be a long time, you know, before I tell my kids about these things, right or wrong, to other people or to my kids. That's how I feel, you know, it's like I, I just don't know that it's good for them to know that from a young age or, or whatever else and until they are at a point where they can understand what it is. And that's that's what the story I wanted to tell here. I wanted, uh, you know, uh, um, a father who seemingly misunderstands his son and is at odds with his own father. And the son, you're seeing it from his perspective as he's getting older and then he encounters this thing. And it's sort of a metaphor, right, for encountering a secret truth um, from the family that all of a sudden maybe villainizes somebody you idolized growing up and all of a sudden somebody you villainized growing up you start to see with new eyes and you start to see with a new respect and in this case I wanted you to see his father as 
maybe, you know, he certainly made mistakes in terms of not communicating with his son, and he certainly could have loved him through it anyway in a much better way. But we certainly start to see that perhaps the distance that he has with Aaron is because Aaron reminds him so much of his own father. And the knowledge that he has of what his father was capable of and how that drove him to a point of, of brokenness, you know, to the point where he wouldn't even communicate with his father much uh, for the rest of his life. You know, you start to understand, okay, he doesn't want to tell Aaron about his grandpa, you know, what he knows about his grandpa. At the same time, you know, he's not going to pretend that he doesn't know it. Um, so there's there's an interesting dynamic there, right? And it's, and it's a very adult story in that way. Um, exploring the, the shift from childhood to uh, adolescence to young adulthood to now, you know, I'll call it full adulthood or, you know, as we as we age and again go through life experiences, what what a interesting metaphor, you know, for, for doing those things. Now, in the missing chapters that I'm talking about doing, I introduce that idea again, right? Because because what what I'll call him Dad Atwood, right? Aaron's dad, since I didn't name him. Let's call him Alf. We have A names, Aaron and Alden. Let's call him Alfred. Alfred Atwood, um, you know, what he perceives of his father, you know, they never had a chance to mend from, from, from there. But the story that I want to tell in Missing Chapters is you kind of, I want you to start to understand Alden more. And his, you know, when he says, my reasons are my reasons, Whereas Aaron and uh, Alfred don't get to get a peek into those reasons. And Aaron makes a judgment call at the end to still love his grandpa um, in spite of his knowledge. And he, he sort of bridges that gap between his father and his grandfather. I want you to be able to see it from Grandpa Atwood's perspective and, and you know, why what happened happened and why he did what he did. This guy who is seemingly um, an honorable man you know, is, is what he did in line with those ethics or did he do something uncharacteristic and why would he have done that? So I'm very excited to, to get that part done, but, you know, just to, to speak again to the themes of this, that's where the theme, you know, of, of family dynamics I wanted to really explore. It all of a sudden seemed like this good fit for this story because as I thought through the story, I'm like, okay, but you know, what, I, I always want to know, you know, and this is, this is, I also have an acting background, right? So part of an actor's job and, and certainly my obsession when I'm acting is that classic stereotype of what's my motivation or, you know, why am I doing this? Why does this character do this? And I bring that same question to the story. Why did this happen? You know, um, why did uh, this particular ghost haunt? Aaron and not anybody else who's ever been down there, you know, or maybe he has, but it certainly seems like he's chosen Aaron and, and it certainly, you know, doubles down on that at the end when you realize he's, he's, he knows he's talking with Alden's grandson and what is the spirit, you know, why, why would he choose to afflict this young man in this way? Um, and certainly it seems like it's, it's for revenge or punishment of some kind for what? you know, what's the cause, and if it was just a guy in a YouTube channel, 
it's it, it loses a lot of gravity, emotional gravitas, you know, and, and story gravitas. So I added the family dynamics to add the emotional gravitas and then just the story dynamics tied into those family dynamics. And all of a sudden now I've got motivations for everybody, you know, um, and there's this history that we learn about between Alden's grandpa and this guy or the spirit of this guy, if it's a guy and not a demon or whatever. So, you know, that's, that's kind of how it came to that point with the story was it went from like a 30 minute max story to this one came out to about an hour. And in fact, this one is cut down, um, from like an hour and 25. So we lost a lot of audio and that's okay. It was, it's kind of a slow mover anyway. And that's something that I'm working on is trying to pick up the pacing a little bit. Um, I give you full permission to listen to me on one and a half or two times speed. I, I will take absolutely no offense at that. Um, but, you know, it, I, again, I wanted to make sure that the story and drama were authentic. Um, but I wanted to leave enough question marks. I tend to over-explain things. And I'm, I'm going to give a shout out to Ian Epperson of the Olive Hill podcast and the new uh, 13 podcast, which is amazing, by the way, both of those. Olive Hill was one of the first ones that inspired me to, to write, um, aside from Knife Point Horror from, from Soren Narnia. Olive Hill was one of the ones that kind of put the final nail in the coffin, like, okay, I got to do this. You know, this is just too good to not contribute to, and I'm inspired by this. And then with this new 13 show that they've got... Um, they just released two episodes, uh, part one and part two of The House in the Highlands, and it's genuinely one of the best ghost stories I've heard in a very long time. It's so creepy, and it's really unique. Um, I won't spend this whole time, I'm not, I'm not sponsoring them, I promise, <laughs> or they're not sponsoring me, um, but, you know, I asked Ian, uh, who, who writes most of those episodes, if not all of them, um, I asked him to listen to my first story, Old Lang Syne, I, you know, and I wanted some feedback on it, and, um, he was, you know, very kind, and everybody that asked for feedback from it on uh, was was very kind, but very honest. And you know, one of the things he said uh, that that was, I guess, one of his points of criticism was, you know, don't feel the need to over-explain things to everybody. You know, a lot of the times it's it's you know, your audience is smart enough to read into stuff, and I certainly felt that way. It's just when you, it, it's one thing to believe that; it's another thing to actually write like you believe it, right? Um, and so I tried to, in this particular one, even though I explained some things more than I did in the very first story, I also tried to leave some things that are more inferred. Um, and you're certainly hearing a little bit more about it now, but in the story itself, I, I took Ian's advice. I took your advice, Ian. And, um, you know, I tried to kind of dial back on the amount of information that was included. So that's, um, that's sort of the hows and whys of the story. As to the uh, the particular, uh, let's just talk briefly about the, the scares, right? Um, who are uh, those mothers and children? Well, again, that one I have an answer, um, <laughs> but I don't necessarily want to say it here because I think I might include it in that other story, but they are representative of a particular thing in that story. Um, but there are other things that, that are in there, you know, where the spirit of this guy is just messing with Aaron. They don't all have meaning, you know. Um, the bear, for instance, you know, I wanted something that could have been real world or 
not so real world. You know, I wanted something that was a familiar threat, you know, and, and a realistic threat. But one that could also be blended with the stuff that seemed not so real. So that's where the bear came from. Um, and, you know, again, I, I purposely wanted this guy behind this wall to to mix his stories, right? I, I wanted him, I wanted you to think it was because he's, you know, suffocating and dying back there, um, that he's sort of hallucinating. And I'm, I'm sure many of you knew from the start that this guy was maybe up to no good, but um, I wanted to at least give the illusion of saying, okay, you know, uh, what is this guy talking about? You know, there's a lot of danger here and there's a lot of mystery. Um, the uh, the thing with the lights where, where Aaron lays down those color-coded lights, that's something I just completely and utterly made up, but I wanted you to have a more visually rich mental picture of what was going on, and I'll be honest, uh, I wanted something that was kind of freaky, you know, in your head, um, so you'll notice that the scariest stuff takes place where there's yellow and red lights, um, the red lights being toward the end of the cabin, uh, and the, the yellow lights being where he first sees the silhouette of uh, the mother and child. Um, the stuff in the cabin, you know, um, I wanted, I, I made a, I make a brief mention when he first pulls in that he sees it and he sees the RV, you know, I wanted there to be teases of, okay, there's a chance this is real, you know, um, maybe that is the family that was here. And I want you, uh, you know, he makes a mention of seeing that the cabin is closed up, but then when he goes back out, the door is wide open, you know, stuff like that. Um, I, I wanted it to be, you know, particularly, freaky and and of course anything to do with like families and you'll notice this theme through all of my stories really I can't get away from it you know what scares me most of course is anybody hurting or taking away my my wife or children they're the dearest people in the world to me so I'm always going to write from what scares me right so even some of these more gruesome pictures involving kids or involving you know these women um, there's a reason for it you know I'm not just doing it just for shock value I'm doing it because it's what scares me and what sickens me, you know, and so that mental picture of, of Aaron walking into that cabin and seeing a boy and then knowing that the boy is actually dead and then knowing what's actually happening to him, you know, and, and at the moment you believe it's this guy's, you know, kid that's trapped back there. You believe that that's his kid that's back there and you assume that his wife is trapped in there with the bear too. Um, but I wanted that to be the, the case there, but then when his story starts to shift, I want you to start questioning, okay, so then what did he see? You know, and, and everything, you realize by the end that everything was an illusion and it still haunts him. It's still an illusion. And I wanted that sort of lingering haunt to be there, right? That, that, that every time he watches the video, he still sees the same things, even though none of it was real, quote unquote. Um, he still sees them and nobody else does. That was uh, that was something that I had in the very original version of the story that I think is a very effective element. Um, I wanted this to be the idea of, you know, the other, I guess, the more spiritual theme I wanted to explore. Because, you know, I talked about in the very first making of, of Old Lang Syne, you know, I do want to bring uh, a unique perspective to this genre and with my worldview being one of, of more that's based on theism, right, or, or Christianity, or whatever you want to call it, um, it's it's a more theistic worldview versus what you normally find in horror, which is more, um, 
you know, nihilistic or, or purely existential. And again, that's okay. Um, uh, you know, to, to, that's fine. That's where most horror is coming out of. But I wanted to bring something unique. And the best writing, whether it's horror or anything else, is to write truthfully. And for me to write truthfully, I'm going to write from a theistic worldview. That doesn't always mean it's going to be straight up from the Bible or, or you know, uh, the gospel or, or whatever else. The first story might have led you to believe that old Lang Syne is a little more obvious with, with its themes of crisis of faith and things like that. It's more that I just want to bring more meaning to some of this stuff. Um, but certainly one of the ideas I wanted to explore was the idea of generational sin, right? Where the sins of the father are visited upon the sins um, that follow of the generations that follow. Now, biblically, there's, there's um, a case to be made that that's, that's not what happens anymore, you know, but especially in the Old Testament, you know, there was the idea of a father's sins were sort of, uh, I guess, uh, an avatar of the sins of the family. You know, they, they would represent something that the whole family tended to struggle with. And you certainly saw that in some of the more prominent biblical figures like Noah, um, like David, you know, and, and all of their children, you know, were they did some messed up stuff that was in line with the sins of their own parents. You know, even some of these, you know, these are considered quote unquote heroes of, of Old Testament scripture. And yet their children, you know, they still are, are sinners. They still make terrible mistakes, in some cases, really terrible mistakes. And their children, you know, follow in those footsteps. And so I wanted the idea of this, whatever this thing is, you know, that, that Alden's, that Alden Atwood did, that, that Grandpa Atwood did, the consequences of it to linger on two generations later, which is, again, partially where I originally came up with that idea of why Aaron? You know, why is it him that's getting this experience and nobody else that's ever been there has? Um, and so that's where that came into play, and that's sort of, I guess, if you want to call it some the other spiritual theme beyond the family dynamics, you know, that is partially a family dynamic, but just the spiritual theme of, you know, look, your actions have consequences even beyond just your own lifetime, even beyond your, your children's lifetime. Occasionally they echo, you know, throughout many generations after. And I think that's a, that's an easy point to support, but I wanted to do it in a narrative way. So that was the, uh, the other major theme. So yeah, I think that, um, that pretty much explores just about all there is to explore about this particular story. Um, I hope you enjoyed sort of this glimpse into, into my, my process for writing it. And, and I, I'll make one more mention of the fact that, um, like I said, this went through several iterations. Um, most of it was me deciding how much information I wanted to include at the beginning versus in the middle versus at the end. And I think a more experienced writer could have spread it out a little more throughout the story, you know, the, the history with his grandfather and things like that. And, 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 you know, again, this is me just being totally honest. There's, there was stuff immediately in hindsight, as soon as I published it, like, wow, man, if I could have almost started it at the mines and let it be kind of uh, uh, an anecdote from, from Aaron kind of looking back on his family history, that might've been more interesting you know, but hindsight being 2020 20 being what it is, um, I will say, you know, the, 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 cho the one choice that I did make was that, you know, once you find out what happens, once you have the turn, right, and you understand what's happened inside of the mine and, and he's escaping, you don't have a lot of time 
for falling action, you know, the plot hill, the rising action, inciting incident, um, and then, you know, the climax, and then, of course, the falling action, you want that falling action to be short, right? Because you're you're rapidly losing interest unless you make it really interesting. And I wanted to make those last 10 minutes with his dad very interesting. And I wanted to be, you know, one more surprise where he, again, is still experiencing this haunting go on because of what he sees in the video. But I wanted the family history to kind of be the initial foundation for the story. So I decided to put the bulk of it up front. So most of what took me so long to write this was that um, I, I couldn't decide how much information I wanted to include. This was already a very long story, and I th there's portions of it that go on much longer in, in other versions. Um, but I was having to write it late at night, and I'll be honest, just practically, I kept falling asleep writing it because I, I would it would be like 12.31 in the morning, and because of you know family dynamics and work and, and whatever else, I'd only been able to write for like an hour and you know, this is a huge story and I'm like, I'm falling asleep and I'm like, I'm never going to get this done. So eventually what I did, um, I knew the bulk of the story and I had a portion of it written, but being 100% transparent, um, I actually sort of semi-improvised most of the story after that. Um, I knew the, the points that I wanted to hit and I went back and re-recorded some of it where it was kind of me just meandering. Um, but, but I'd say a good 70% of the story, the recorded version that you hear is me not looking at a script. You know, it's me kind of just, again, semi improvising based on where I knew the story would go. So I knew the again, the major points to hit, but everything in between was sort of just <laughs> as it came to mind, you know, I, I kind of went back into acting roots into improv days and went that direction. And, um, I've discovered that, the first story was totally written out. Uh, this one was a mixture of written out and not. Um, I, I think I'd like to fall somewhere in between. I, I don't want to improvise quite as much as I did on this one. Um, but I I don't want it to take as long as it took me, you know, to get this thing written out like this. Um, but, I, but I also, um, I like the freedom to be able to, to get it done quickly and um, to explore things that come to mind, you know, sometimes you, they don't come to mind if you've just written them down and you're just reading it from the page versus being the character and having to inhabit that character and have to make it up as you go. And, and I, I kind of got the bravery to try that from Soren Narnia because he, he used to do that on his YouTube channel. Now that guy, a true master of the genre, um, I know there are a couple that he pretty much just improvised the whole way through and I was like I don't understand how this guy's brain works but um but yeah so that's that's pretty much I guess the, all there is to say I know I'll think of things later and by all means if you have questions about the story or about things I've said here you know again at me on Twitter I'm happy to chat with you there um but otherwise um I'm gonna try and get out um a story in April if I can um, and if I can't I will certainly have my Mother's Day story ready to roll I'm very excited about that one but I don't want to say a word about it until I get closer to it so um, be on the lookout for that in the meantime go follow 13 podcast I think it's pod 13 at pod 13 on Twitter and support them on patreon um, check those guys out check out the antique shop um, by Ghostly Thistle. Um, I'm trying to think of a couple others. Uh, Whispers in, in the Night. Um, uh, check that one out. They've always been such a big supporter of me. Saying is awesome. Um, he's the host of that. and He does great content. And 
um, I had one of my microfictions uh, featured on, on, um, actually, I think I had two of microfictions featured on a couple episodes of his, um, so go check out Seng's uh, Whispers in the Night. Anyway, thank you guys again. Again, I want you all to know I love you all. I am praying for all of you, and I hope you are well. And until next time, this is Thomas Brennan signing off. See ya.